Welcome to Authentic Energy, a podcast dedicated to getting to the bottom of what it means to be your true, authentic self at work. I am your host, Wendy Brand, a former corporate executive turned transformation coach. Let's take this learning journey together as I meet with guests weekly to learn how they've managed or not managed to find the elusive boundaries and success in their career and what it really means to find balance. Hi, welcome back. My very special guest today is Brenda Harrington. Brenda is a certified executive coach, author, and facilitator of leadership development experiences. She works with leaders across a variety of business sectors, nonprofit, government, and intergovernmental organizations to help them embrace their leadership competencies and build capacity. Her partnership with clients is centered on the development of professional habits that will enable them to have the greatest possible impact. Brenda is also a black woman, and in her book, Access Denied, released last summer, Brenda addresses workplace disparities and discrimination through brave storytellers that shared their stories with her. I am not a black woman, and I cannot begin to understand what black women experience or have experienced in the workplace, but I do strongly believe that everyone should feel a sense of belonging and safety when they show up for work. At the very least, they should not feel isolated or made to feel less than for any reason, not for the color of their skin, not for a disability, not for their age, be it younger or older. There is so much opportunity for us to continue to learn from each other in this area. I hope this episode provides you with some nugget that you can take back to your day-to-day or inspires you to purchase Brenda's book to learn more from her or to have a conversation with someone that creates awareness and better understanding of one another. I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, welcome back to Authentic Energy. Brenda Harrington is with us today. Brenda, I am so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Wendy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's get started. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your career path and what you're doing today. Certainly. I I have to smile when people refer to it as a path because I don't know that uh, it's been exactly that, but more of a journey. And so early on, uh, I started in corporate America, which, you know, was where the beginning for many people uh, was kind of like a Goldilocks experience, you know, too hot, too cold, just right kind of thing. And I never found the just right in corporate America. Uh, I started my career with mobile oil. I left mobile after a few years and went to work for AT&T. And I just realized that 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 type of environment was not where I could do my best work or where I felt I wanted to spend a lifetime, right? So uh, I I made a decision to go out on my own and do some other things. I was very involved with corporate relocation for a number of years, you know, working with people in transition, uh, working with expats uh, coming to and from the United States and things like that. Uh, 9-11 happened and some of that went dormant. And so I took what I thought was going to be uh, an opportunity for a brief consulting assignment, if you will, uh, with a regional consulting and real estate management firm. Nine and a half years later, I left <laughs> uh, in a senior executive role uh, and uh, decided to create adaptive leadership strategies so that I could focus on what I 
realized was was at the core of everything I had really enjoyed doing most over the arc of my career, which is working with people. So 12 years in, uh, I'm really grateful for having had the opportunity to work with leaders globally uh, to help them find their way to becoming the best version of themselves. How exciting and what great, important work. And now you have written a book? I have. Access Denied. So what was the inspiration for that? The spring of 2020 and the conversations uh, that emerged as a result of what we all experienced during that period. Writing was not anything that was on my bucket list. It's not, not anything that I had ever intended to do. But as a result of what we were experiencing and the residual, I felt like uh, I wanted to get into the conversation, right? So when you are not Oprah or Spike Lee or any of those people and you don't have a platform, you find your own way in. And so I wrote the book to share stories, to share stories of what people experience in the workplace uh, as a result of marginalization, racism, and and all of the, the, the things that can show up but also to provide, one, people who are being impacted by those circumstances, tools. There are coaching tools and reflection tools in the book to help people navigate some of those circumstances, but also to create awareness for others so that they have a little bit more insight into what that experience can be like. I I have learned that really creating a sense of belonging in the workplace and inclusivity is so important. And I believe that's a little bit about what you talk about in your book. Is that right? Yes, it is. And belonging is so important because when you don't see yourself in in the family portrait, if you will, right, and you don't feel like there's a place for you or there's acknowledgement of, you know, the value that you bring, it's really difficult to be engaged. And so belonging is really at the core of, of a lot of it. And it's not something that we can address or create or facilitate on our own. You know, it's a group sport. <laughs> and, yes. and that's the challenge. That's the challenge is really getting to a place where there, where you can hold the space for diver- not only diversity, but for everyone to be engaged in a meaningful way. And so what would you say are the biggest barriers to inclusion? Misunderstanding, judgment, fear, people are most comfortable with others who look and sound and, and and kind of feel familiar. And when you are in a situation where there's that lack of familiarity, then that raises the bar for uncertainty and, and fear in many cases. And unfortunately, that is the characterization of, of many workspaces, right? And when you're in the minority, it it really can be difficult to to break through those barriers. So fear. <laughs> yes. I've heard said as well that there's really just two emotions. There's fear and love. And mm. that judgment and a lot of those <laughs> feelings that you just described really are rooted in fear. Um, yes. So if you could share some tips for leaders in the corporate environment on how to create a more inclusive workplace what would you say? It begins with paying attention and, and being aware. And, you know, one of the things that I, I hope the book would do is to create awareness. And we're, as a matter of fact, we are finishing up a course that's based on the book to 
with some exercises to, to facilitate that, to help to do that, but to pay attention. And so, you know, we, we went through this whole period, you know, where I said, oh, you know, I, I, I see the world as being colorless. The world is not colorless. And I don't want to be invisible in the world. Okay. And so all I'm asking you to do is to see me and to be aware that my experience might not be the same as the experience of others, you know, who are, are not in the minority. And right. so when you see uh, that there's uh, someone on a team, maybe that doesn't have the same visibility or who isn't as involved, you know, or who you're not hearing as much from, inquire, okay? Peel back the onion, if you will, to, to, to see what that's about and to make sure that things are being approached as intended. The other side of that, though, is to hold managers and others accountable for a particular, to a particular standard and for a particular type of behavior. You can't change hearts and minds. People are going to feel the way they feel. People have their own beliefs. But in a place of work, in a professional environment, they should be compelled to meet a particular standard. So those yeah. are the two things that leaders can control. That's great. One of the courses that was most impactful to me that I took um, in my career related to you know, the DEIB uh effort was uh, a course on unconscious bias. And that was, it was such an eye opener for me that there are, that everybody has biases. Like it's just innate. It's, you know, it's the way that we think about things because of our environment or previous experiences. It's just, we have that unconscious bias. Is that still the right terminology. I think I've heard other phrases used. Is that still a good source of information or have is it evolved even past that? Well, no, there's clearly, I mean, you have to question when it's unconscious and when people are aware of it. But, right. uh, you know, in the book, I talk about schemas, which are basically mental shortcuts that we take. You know, it's how we, you know, make the distinction between a rabbit and a mouse. You know, we look at it and, you know, so we all work we rely on shortcuts to interpret the world around us. Okay. And yes, we all do have biases. I grew up in New York. And so my early exposure to people in the South was on television, the Beverly Hillbillies, Gomer Pyle, uh, you know, and those yeah. people were very smart. Those characters weren't very right. smart. Right. And so my, my early, uh, interpretation of people who sounded like that was that they weren't very smart. Okay. And unfortunately, those those types of schemas or shortcuts are embedded, you know, in, in the psyche of a lot of people around race and ethnicity and in some cases religion, right? And so they have assumptions about people who look different from them, you know, and and things like that. And we've got to be willing to question those shortcuts. And, and reconsider them. I think what's so amazing, you know, that we can recreate neuropathways in our brain and actually right. change our beliefs. And so I, I love that you're saying that it's really about awareness, because mm -hmm. once you have that awareness, then you have the ability to make that change, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. If you so choose. Right. <laughs> that is if the key. So right. right. So as you were writing this book, what what were the top three lessons that you that you learned? I, I learned uh, that there's still some some really uh, 
primitive beliefs, I think, among a lot of people, and that this might be more formidable than most of us would like to think, right? Uh, the book is a compilation of stories. And so, you know, there were a number of brave storytellers who were willing to share their lived experiences. And a couple of them were really, I would consider, you know, borderline traumatic. And, and so, you know, you, you think about, I'll speak for myself, I think about my own experiences, some of which are shared, but I think about my own experiences and how they impacted me, you know, but really stepping into the shoes of, of, of some of the others was, was really even eye-opening for me because some of it was just, you know, so far beyond the pale of what I would consider to be reasonable. And so, you know, what I learned was even more, uh, the many more ways that this shows up and people don't even, you know, think about it. Beyond writing the book, the feedback that I've gotten has been really interesting to me because there are people who have read the book and they said, you know, some of those things happened to me and I never thought about it as, as you know, discrimination. It was just an acceptance. It's just the, you know, the the way we were conditioned to 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 believe things were supposed to be. And on the flip side, you know, the where the awareness that is created for others. And 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 people have said, you know, I've gone back and thought about circumstances at work and things I've been involved in, and I'd never looked at them this way. And I I had no idea. So it was a real eye-opener. That's great. If there was one thing you would want readers to take away from your book, what what would you say that is? I, I'm embracing the concept of death by a thousand cuts right now. So the one takeaway would be, you know, to reflect on what you've read, to think about where you can have impact, right? Yeah. Based on what you know now, you know, what can you do? small or large. You don't have to write about it. You don't have to march. You don't have to go, what can you do in your immediate environment? When you see something, call it, be willing to call it out. And if you have agency in a particular space that you can make some changes and adjustments to make things more accessible and more equitable, what steps can you take to to make that change, to affect that change? Okay, great. What do you, What audience would benefit most from your book? Everyone, I think in terms of a primary audience, Wendy, and a secondary audience. The primary audience are people composed of people who might be experiencing some of the, the types of circumstances that are described in the book. In the introduction, I say, you know, two things I want to be clear about is one, you're not crazy. What's happening to you is real. You know, I think that we uh, are are subject to a fair amount of gaslighting. As a matter of fact, the woman who wrote the uh, the foreword for the book, Dr. Christy Pekikaro, coined a term called discriminatory gaslighting. You know, where you're kind of made to feel that you know, no, this is you're misunderstanding. You know, this is not really what's happening here, and it is. So, uh, and then the second thing is that you're not alone. That there are many others who are experiencing this at different levels, perhaps in different ways. So that's the primary audience. The secondary audience are people who are not directly impacted, uh, and that's where that awareness is created. Right, the opportunity to really gain a deeper line of sight into the experiences of people who are feeling that the playing field is not particularly level. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your organization. 
Theft of Leadership Strategies is a little over 12 years old. The lion's share of my work is in the leadership and professional development space. Wonderful. Anything you would add from a burnout perspective? Any guidance for leaders leading through this time when we're losing employees? Yeah, we are really in in unprecedented times. And I think that uh, leaders who are willing to uh, adopt a, a, a degree, a modicum of creativity and innovation, and who are more open to change will probably fare better than those who are, you know, more rigid and who have fallen into a pattern of linear thinking um, because nothing today is like it was before. Mm -hmm. And so I I become a little concerned when I hear leaders embrace best practices and they, they lean on all the things that they've been doing over a long period of time. It's not that, you know, you want to throw all of that away, but I think you have to kind of be willing to take a step back and reframe and and consider, you know, what really has relevance, adds value, and is meaningful, and and be realistic about what may no longer serve you, because things are so different. Yeah, it really is, you know, even, you know, 10, maybe 15 years ago, we started talking about being agile and um, embracing change, but I feel like that's just it's like table stakes now. Like that is the new way of working. Right. And I hear people say things like, oh, well, when we're fully staffed and oh, when will we get this? And when we do that, you can't rely on that because whenever that thing happens, something else will show up, something else will come up. So you really do have to be very nimble and, and be willing, you know, to, to, to just think about things a different way. Yeah. Great advice. If someone wanted to work with you, how would they, how would they find you? My website is adaptiveleadershipstrategies.com. My direct email is bharrington at adaptiveleadershipstrategies.com. And I'm on Instagram as author bharrington and also on LinkedIn. Wonderful. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. Um, This has just been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Brenda, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation. Happy to be here. Thank you. What an amazing woman doing amazing things and a really great conversation. Okay, here are my takeaways. Number one, when you don't see yourself in the family portrait, so to speak, and you don't feel there's a place for you or acknowledgement of the value you bring, it is difficult to be engaged. Number two, misunderstanding, judgment, and fear are barriers to inclusivity. Number three, there are really two emotions, fear and love. Number four, a more inclusive workplace begins with paying attention and being aware. The world is not colorless and no one wants to be invisible. Number five, be on the lookout for a course by Brenda that aligns with the book and includes exercises to facilitate awareness in the workplace. Number six, if you're seeing someone on the team that you're not hearing as much from, don't be afraid to inquire and peel back the onion and make sure that things are as they appear. Number seven, hold managers accountable for standards. We may not be able to change the hearts and minds of others, but we should have certain standards and accountability in the work environment. Number eight, schemas are mental shortcuts that we take. 
We rely on shortcuts to interpret the world around us, and they are embedded in the psyche and creates assumptions. So we have to be willing to question those shortcuts and reconsider them. Number nine, once you are aware, you have the ability to make changes in your beliefs, thoughts, and actions. Number 10, think about where you can have impact, small or large. What can you do in your immediate environment? If you see something, call it out. And if you have agency in a certain space, what steps can you take to make a change? If you want to learn more from Brenda, you can find her work on her website at adaptiveleadershipstrategies.com and you can contact her via email at bharrington at adaptiveleadershipstrategies.com and on Instagram at author bharrington. She is also on LinkedIn. If you have enjoyed this episode, I hope you will share it with a friend or go on and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week.